Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, I can. Perfect. How are you doing, African Superstar? I'm doing good, mate. Yeah. Really connect with you. I know it's been we've been trying for a very long time. I know it's definitely been a while. It's definitely been a while, especially with the times we're going through right now. Everyone seems to be extraordinarily busy or just like just running around a lot and trying to get things done. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. What do you prefer to be called, Gene or the African superstar? Uh, anything is fine. Anything is fine. I'll stick with African superstar. I love the name, by the way. Cheers. Yeah. What's the origins of the name? If you mind me asking. Um, actually, the name was given to me by friends years okay. ago. Yeah, because um, obviously you can hear I, I originally lived in America. Yeah. Um, so I had always a zest for the motherland, and I was yeah. always like very Pan African and 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 uh, things like that, pro black centered. Yeah. So I had a lot of African friends, you know, migrants, and they just were like shocked that. Um, because I was originating from America that I had this like deep interest in the continent. So that yeah. was the name that they gave me yeah. and it's grown and become my brand and, you know, so on and so forth. Amazing. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of similar experience I've had as well. Cause what tends to happen is us in the diaspora, we tend to then have more of an interest of back home. So our, our research into it and our love for it and our reading into it becomes a bit more in depth than those okay. who actually live it and it's their day to day yeah. normal experience. Absolutely. So I definitely understand like where the enthusiasm and the love comes from. Cause yeah. I, have this- I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're socialized not to have an interest. You know, yeah, a lot of people yeah. back on the continent don't know that. They ask that question. Oh, you know, why don't black Americans come back to Africa? You know, people mm-hmm. in Europe, the people that are brought up there don't seem interested. But we are socialized to to not have that interest. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, and I think for me, I didn't, I was kind of separated a lot from the mainstream media. Growing up, I did more reading and I was more into music. That's good. So I didn't get a lot of that exposure per se that made me have a negative connotation yeah. towards the continent so okay do you know where, where in the continent you originate from um you haven't looked into it yeah my my family line goes back to cameroon okay. um, so you know that's where officially um but i do I have a serious, serious affinity to Ghana, and yeah. I travel to Ghana very, very often. And um, I also do business in Ghana and Kenya. I've been to six countries total across the continent currently, um, including uh, Tanzania, Egypt, Nigeria, South Africa, as well as Kenya and Ghana. Yeah. Uh, so you know, but I, I, I grew up with a lot of Ghanaians in my area where I was living in the states. I was living in Columbus, Ohio. 
Okay. Which is a, it's a huge hub for like the Ghanaian community. They have a. Who the Ghanaians were in New York. <laughs> oh, there. I mean, there are many cities where there are a lot of yeah. them. But they have a big community as well in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So they really were kind of my window to the continent before I began traveling and uh, really had cultivate that interest because they're a warm people yeah. beautiful culture um inviting and you know they they gave me you know i had that desire because yeah. of my friendships with with ghanians in america um so they've always shown me a lot of love across the world um especially in ghana <laughs> so that is, seems to be a second home now yeah yeah that's where i'm i you know i actually have plans to uh, spend an extended amount of time over there this year, but thanks to coronavirus, everything has been uh, put on hold. So. Tell me about it. I mean, absolutely everything. I, I was supposed to have been there now myself as well, but I was fortunate enough to spend Christmas and New Year there before like yeah. coronavirus hit. And ever since then, we all kind of just been like trapped in our houses and unable to travel. So how are you coping with the whole coronavirus situation and isolation and lockdowns? Yeah. Uh, I think obviously there's a, a bigger agenda, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a bigger agenda, most definitely, and I'm I'm just praying for the opportunity to kind of get back to the continent and and still go forward with the plans that I was working on. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think they're being forthright. They're they keep giving us little information here and there. Yeah. I think that this lockdown will extend much longer than what they're alluding to. Oh, yeah, most definitely, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. oh, we think in a couple weeks, you know, I think originally President Trump said by Easter they were... Oh, yeah, he said Easter everyone's going to be in church, aren't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. I mean, then you, like, pay attention to what's going on in Ghana. Mm. Uh, President Nana Ado, he's given free electricity and water for three months. Yeah. So, you know, why that time? So I think... They definitely will extend it through the summertime. Um, consequently, I don't know if you've noticed, but I know in my area, 5G towers are going up at the same time. I have some friends in the U.S. saying 5G is also getting installed in their neighborhoods. So I think that there's a connection with this global shutdown and then being able to get their network up. Um, you know, so they were having a lot of pushback from the community yeah. as they were installing them by normal practices people protesting people uh, resisting them going up so what better way to be able to install it in peace with yeah. the people being restricted no air travel no work no yeah. um, and in some places they have the military in america they have um, the, a national guard which is like their local military um, deployed to kind of keep people in in their homes and enforce curfews and things like that so that they can be busy at night putting these towers up <laughs> it was strange because when i first started noticing the work happening i was like well is this a part of essential works because apparently the only people are supposed to be working are the essential workers Correct. and service providers so it was a bit strange but i mean as they always say the truth will always unveil itself regardless of what's going on in the dark so it'll be interesting to see what happens because i was having an interesting conversation with a um virologist dr hakim jabala um recently i just released a podcast yesterday actually and then we we're discussing the failings of the government and how it's going to be very difficult for them to regain our trust after all of this because there's people having to bury their relatives family members like fathers mothers and you're unable to say goodbye to those people and they're being kind of 
putting holes in the ground like in mass graves as is happening right now in new york and all these atrocities are going to cause major major trauma and distress to people in the long run and it's going to be completely difficult for any of these individuals to forgive the government and to forgive the authorities for what they're doing to the to the people i mean at the moment they're kind of suppressing all the emotions and all the issues because everyone's on lockdown but once those lockdowns do get lifted or if they do get extended too much what's going to happen like what's the reaction is going to be from the public so it's really interesting well, times I, I'm so happy you actually um, touched on that because that ties into obviously the original topic of our conversation. Yeah. You know, I reached out to Francis many months ago wanting to kind of talk about um, that this, you know, even prior to this, yeah. the diaspora should be putting their sights on the motherland. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, this should be and is for a lot of people a wake-up call um the security of us residing here and wow. having our whole life and things like that um is not wise you know the fact that we often leave our homelands naked um and vulnerable to these foreign powers and things like that i've seen a lot of people because you know i'm very i try to be a balanced critic. Yeah. I see things are going on back home, but I have a lot of empathy to our family back home because I realize that their media and education is omitting important things. They don't have an understanding of what's going on in the West. They don't get the exposure. Um, their education like completely omits the Europeans long impact on our continent so a lot of time they're just growing up and they don't even know what's happening uh, those of us that are outside have a more well-rounded view especially those of us that have schooled or traveled we see a bit more of the bigger picture and how yeah. this this thing is all tying in and one of our critical critical failures is not depositing our skill sets back home a lot of foreigners when they go abroad for education or they go for business they make sure to invest back home so that in a case of an emergency i mean look 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 at the diaspora right now um i gave the analogy on my channel which any of you viewing i have a youtube channel called the african superstar with a k not a c i have so the details all in the description as well yeah <laughs> yeah i welcome you to come over and, and yeah, see definitely. Uh, check out my platform but i spoke to my channel the other day and said you know for for the african diaspora that's in america mm. right now they can't fly they can't get home. <laughs> uh, how are they going to get across the ocean? You know, we have not even prepared. There's no black-owned or African-owned ocean liners. You know, there's no type of backup plan if we need to get out of these Western countries to get home. Off the airlines are, are shut down as well anyway. Exactly, exactly. So that's my point. It's like we literally have just, you know, existed in these, in, in these environments without preparing for tomorrow, without even building up our homelands. Uh, we see what's happening in China as far as the Africans being evicted from their homes and getting blamed for bringing coronavirus to China. Yeah. Um, we've been the recipient of this connotation in these nations, and we have still failed to develop our homelands and make it a place where we can say, you know what, you don't want us here, that's cool, we can go back home. You know, our home has the comforts, our, our home has the conveniences. We've been, you know, siphoning the resources of the West and depositing them back home like other foreigners do. So now I think this is a huge wake-up call to our people. If they have not been 
trying to reestablish themselves mm. back home that they should be considering that because being here is not nearly as stable as it has the image of appearing. We can see they shut down these countries under a month. They yeah. stop travel. They close borders. Um, they revoke visas. You know, they stop work, stop school, and enforce curfews and everything. So it can easily crumble these societies. And, and I mean, at least at home, you know, you can have land, you can have a property, you can grow food, you know, you can do agriculture. Here in the West, we're, we're completely trapped. We we get our food from the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> we just come from a factory. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we can't live outdoors if we need to. The weather's too, um, too cold, you know. In terms of like off grid, living off the land survival, our our potential is much higher back home where we come from than these environments. Um, so that's what I really wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, turning it, it, your sights home. Most definitely, it's a really interesting topic, and um, it, it covers so many various areas. But some of the things that I sort of, whenever I think about it, whenever I think about the diaspora going back home, there's, there's a lot of questions that come up in my mind. First thing is. How do they function in a? Um, how do they function in an environment they're not used to? So, for instance, let's say you're speaking to someone who wasn't born in. I was born in Ghana, by the way. So, but I left Ghana at a really young age. I left Ghana when I was, I think, about five years old. I moved to Sweden, lived there for about nine odd years before I moved here to the UK. So, I've been here for nearly twenty years now, or twenty years plus. Um, is someone who's never been to Africa wanting to go back there? How do they prepare for such a trip then? Um, well, obviously, I mean, right now we're in an unknown situation, you know, yeah. um, I, I would always say and what I've been previously promoting is a proactive approach, you know, which is you have to uh, create that connection or establish those networks. Obviously, you know, I, I migrated, actually, I didn't mention, but I migrated from America to here in the UK. Mm. Um, about three years ago. Before I migrated here, I used to come to England every year. You know, I made it a point to come every year to kind of acclimate myself to the environment. And so I would say, obviously, people that are disconnected, it goes without saying that you're going to have to reestablish that connection. I wouldn't advise anyone to just pick up and move to a place. Yeah, the culture uh, should be immense. I mean, yeah. even if you're here in the UK, you know, you probably, it would be rare for you to just pick up from London and move to Birmingham or move to Manchester. Yeah. You don't know anybody there. You don't know. Um, so obviously that was the method that I would recommend is, is being proactive. You know, if you're in a position traveling there, um, establishing relationships with people in that community, maybe where you live, you know, um, to give you an understanding. And that's the beauty about the African diaspora, which is it is a huge network. Um, if you make friends with people in your local area and you say, hey, look, I'm looking to travel to Kenya. I'm looking to travel to Nigeria. I want to go to your country. Do you know somebody who can show me around? Do you know somebody who does travel? You know, it's I've never yet met an African from back home and say, do you know somebody? And they say, no, I don't know. anybody." <laughs> yeah. You know, that's here yeah. in the West. Yeah. <laughs> back home, people know everybody. Fix your car, do Most your different. hair transportation, a place to stay, you know, yeah. the whole nine. And usually um, I've received nothing but hospitality across the continent. And every place I first visited, I was a solo traveler. So, you know, I established those connections and me not being born in Africa, you know, me having to create those things. So if you want that to happen, that is what you're going to need to do is, is reassociate yourself with the continent one way or another. 
right now, obviously you can't pick up tomorrow and travel there. That would be the most formidable thing to do is go there because people in the diaspora, like I said, they're socialized to have a negative connotation of the motherland. And so therefore they're going to have all these stereotypes and preconceived notion and they have to get rid of the western view of history as well so you're you're studying your own homeland through the lens of someone else and their experience and their experience is completely different to what the reality possibly may be or what what the true experience of the people may be so any person who wants to be versed on a topic Mm. is going to make them so they need to have that actual um experience for themselves you know when people go to school for for to become medical doctors they don't practice you know they don't uh get their license without practicing without mm. interning without having some exposure to medicine how it works surgical procedures and etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know when people have a, um, a concept of the motherland in order for that to be balanced they should have a personal you yeah. know experience to speak from not mm. oh you know marcus garvey and malcolm x and kwame Nkrumah. you need to have that experience for yourself and that's actually how you know, I've put myself in a position as an authority on this subject because yeah. before I went to the motherland, there will be people say, oh, well, you've never been there. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, now a lot of those people, African migrants, actually, I've gone to more countries than they have been to. You've been to more African countries than I've been. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, now I can say because the, the next thing was, oh, well, you've been there. It's only like that there. Mm. So I made sure, OK, I'm going to the northeast, south and west. Mm. and make sure I've experienced a little bit of all the different regions. Mm. So when I talk about hospitality, for instance, you know, I'm speaking from being a female solo traveler, um, going to all points of the continent, spending, you know, at least two weeks in each place. Um, And and again, not having any direct ties. So I can speak from a point of experience. So when people want to try to debunk various things, I can simply say to them, we'll have you try. Oh, no, I haven't. My friend's been there. And well, then we can't have the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, do, do you get asked different questions from um, the British diaspora as compared to the American? Because I know you guys have a completely different experience to to race and, and back home than we do. Yeah. Every, I mean, um, typically, not really from the British diaspora, because fortunately here, people yes, travel. first generation as well. So. And I think the relationship that the diaspora to the continent is a lot more direct here. Yeah. As yeah. people were not brought here as a result of the slave trade. People yes, yeah. migrated, their parents migrated and cho- made that choice. So it's a different, you know, connection. The people in America are completely removed and by design. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of them are you know, completely ignorant or miseducated and coupled with the fact that they don't travel. So yeah. very few of them had the, the experience of the international community. Fortunately for me, I began traveling when I was very young. So I began to see Europe and I began to see the Caribbean. My mother's from Bermuda. Um, and I got, you know, I, I had a different concept to offset what I was learning in the schools. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely the American diaspora... Fortunately, there's there's a lot of interest. Yeah, a lot of people are cultivating that interest or were prior to this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, the year of return was a massive gateway for many people. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was it was massive. Um, So I'm seeing that dynamic change gradually. And I'm just hoping that we have a little bit more time to implement these things because we've been slack in it. 
you know, we've been slack. This is, this is something that we should have a proactive. I'm a very proactive person. So I'm yeah. always ahead of the cut. You know, I'm like, okay, let's start doing things now, not in a time of crisis, but yeah. let's do it when we have the liberty. Let's do it when we have the resources. Let's do it when we have more time um, and we're not under pressure. But right now, you know, everything's in the air. Yeah. The, the American experience is quite interesting to me because um, when I went back recently for the year of return, I had a, I had a real emotional connection and uh, experience with an American gentleman. So we were all at a party. Obviously, we were enjoying ourselves, having a couple of drinks or whatever. And he came up to me. I, I've never met him anywhere. I don't know who this dude is. And he was like just really emotional about the whole experience being surrounded by so many Africans and black people. And he was like hugging me and he was like, bro, this is the first time in my life where I haven't felt like a black person like I didn't feel like a person of color I just felt like a person mm -hmm. and it's a different experience for me because I've always been going back and forth to Ghana I grew yes, up in yes. in an African community here in London so I'm very in tune I speak the language I understand yes. other people's languages as well to an extent and to him he, he was trying to explain it to me that the black experience in America is completely different to what we experience here in the UK and for him to be in an environment where he doesn't have to be concerned or con constantly noticing the skin tone uh, he, or the color of his skin was an amazing feeling for him it's something he's never had before because he, he just about just got his passport and this is the first trip he's ever been on which was to Ghana for the year return and it, w it was amazing to hear that coming out of an American's mouth because I kind of hear about it I read about it in history books but to feel the raw emotion of what that experience means to a black person who's been taken from their homeland and then completely stripped of their history and the knowledge of where they're from and then experience it for the first time it was breathtaking so yeah. that to me kind of like opened my eyes at that yeah we've kind of here in the UK we're, we're especially the black diaspora here in the UK we have a different experience that is a bit of a privilege do you know what I mean it's something that we should harness and learn to yeah definitely about. I mean I, I would I've and I've noticed that I've been able to you know denote that living here for a few years, although I don't live in London, you know, I live in Northampton, which is um, outside of London. But, you know, like I said, I think the people here have a, a much more direct connection to the motherland. And, um, and, and therefore, they, they also have a voice in society here, yeah. you know, because people understand that it's more or less, um, it, it, it's a voluntary thing for them to be here. You know, they... In America, the whole connotation is, you know, you're next to nothing. And basically, you are the derivative of slaves. And, you know, the non-black Americans have that connotation towards you. You know, as soon as they disagree with you or as soon as you offend them, it gets ugly really fast. And, and you can kind of tell that they just feel like, you know, you are indentured to America. Whereas people here in Europe know, okay, you know you have a homeland, you know, you go home, you can go home if you want to, you don't, you're here by choice, essentially. Yeah. But the black Americans, because they're estranged from Africa, um, and they don't really also belong in America, there's just this whole sense of, and lack of identity, and there's no sense of belonging, you know, even they are born and raised in that country, they don't feel uh, American, you know, yeah. but then they're also very defensive. So if other people, <laughs> you know, as to include other black Americans will illuminate that fact, they're very, very defensive to, um, the reality that they are not, you know, have their own indigenous community or their, their yeah. sense of belonging. So it's, it's a very, very complex thing and it's unfortunate. And that's why I promote people that, um, are kind of just fed up with that whole dynamic to begin to explore other options. I think that the diaspora 
and as a whole has uh, been very negligent as far as exploring uh, potential options in the motherland. And again, I understand we're socialized to be that way, but at a certain point as an adult, you can make the conscious decision and say, you know what, look, I've tried really hard here. My parents have tried really hard here. My grandparents have tried really hard here. It's been tumultuous for them. It's been tumultuous for even ancestors I don't even know. Um, I maybe should examine other options. And uh, that's what ultimately led me to leave America. I was very unhappy. I had always been unhappy. Um, And fortunately for me, because I knew uh, via my traveling that I did, I wasn't relegated to America, which most Americans don't have that feeling. You know, most Americans feel like this is it. You know, Um, I knew that the international community held more promise um, than what I was experiencing in America. So I took it, you know, but the average person who has not traveled outside has very limited exposure, doesn't really have uh, means. You know, a lot of black Americans, unfortunately, are living in in crazy, crazy situations. People yeah. outside of America don't know how they live, but a lot of them live in, in poverty, extreme poverty mm-hmm. that would mirror, you know, poverty in, in, in third world countries. And so, you know, the concept of them moving to another nation or something is very, very far fetched, you know. Yeah. Um, (laughs) America is a strange place uh, for me in general because I mean when you look at the stats it's only 10% or less of the country that do even have their passports so where does that derive from don't they apply for their passports or do you just feel like the whole world can be found in America so there's no point exploring elsewhere Um, well I mean I think now this may be controversial for your viewers I don't know your viewing base but (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of things at play um Three things mainly, three three critical areas that work in conjunction. Um, you have the religious uh, area that really mm. promotes people to be um, obedient and self, you know, subservient mm. and things like that. Not really question, not really go out and explore. Yeah. Um, you have the media, which fear mongers um, the, the the American people to the world. Mm. So basically. In the average American's mindset, America is the greatest country on earth. Yeah. Um, constantly pushed. The thing, yes. The things that they endure in their country uh, are even worse in other countries. Mm. So, like, in terms of, like, one of the big areas I had an issue with in America was the gun violence. I absolutely hated the gun violence. I felt like I could be a victim at any time because there's a lot of shootings. A lot of Americans are armed. Um, there's mass shootings. Random there's more shootings. guns than there's people, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah. And so strategically, I chose to move to the UK where I knew, um, you know, guns for the civilians were not available. You know, so me just being here, I feel more safer, even though some places like London, they have knife crime and things like that. Um, the, probability- the demographic of who that happens to is very specific and minute. Yeah, yeah group. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the probability of me getting caught up in those things is still there, but it's, it's mm. much, much less than me being involved in something in America. However, the average American person thinks the rest of the world is 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 more dangerous than America. Like they don't realize they're living in the middle yeah. of a very dangerous place. Um, so you have the media, uh, you know, deliberately promoting fear, um, and not really promoting the travel. And then you have the education, (laughs) which the education, um, actually just omits anything, you know, versus I think probably European history, you get more of a worldview, Mm -hmm. um, even probably your media and the BBC, 
will yeah. give you more of a worldview. Yeah. In America, like for me living in Ohio, I'm going to see Ohio news. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not even going to maybe not see unless it's like a, a, um, you know, like a, a national, uh, what do they call them? A natural disaster mm. or, you know, some kind of big crime case that's happening around the country. Mm. Yeah, you're not getting exposed to what's happening nationwide, much less worldwide. So mm. these people don't know about the world. They don't see anything positive about the world. And then also travel is very expensive. You know, when I used to come to London my tickets easily would be over $1,000 for a round trip just for me to do that. There's very little time at your job. At the time, I was working corporately for J.P. Morgan Chase. I had two weeks of vacation time for the entire year. Oh, wow. So, you know, it doesn't really support frequent traveling. It deters frequent traveling and things like that. And Americans have this concept, well, I'm in the best place in the world. What do I need to see? You know, where, what, what is there for me to see? Um, so that is their mindset. Like I said, for it, it's looked at as a luxury thing, you know, yeah. people that travel often instead of educational and growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's a luxury thing. It's yeah. not like, you know, okay, you're going to Paris, you're going to London. That's big time. You know what I mean? Um, so <laughs> that, yeah. that in short, those are some of the factors that are at play. They're really not promoted. Um, it's not feasible. It's very expensive. They're fearful of the world, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I brought up is because it's to encourage people to travel in the first place. They need mm. to have the basics in place. And one, of the, one of the fundamental tools that you need to, to even leave the country is a passport. So I always wanted to know why so little, such a small percentage of the American um, population has a passport and the majority don't. Because yeah. in order for you to step out of the box, you need to be able to step out of the box. So it's essential that they, the passport is there. And then you mentioned something as well about like they just stepping out and exploring. So th there's something significant that travel done to me personally. So when I was younger, I had a group of friends from, from the age of like 18 onwards, we just started traveling the world. I mean, we started off locally around Europe and then we headed to Asia and we're just exploring the world. We, we left our neighborhood and just kind of spread our wings. And prior to traveling, I was kind of narrow minded. I lived in a um, I lived in a particular area in London where um, there was there was a fair bit of matter of crime. There wasn't quite a bit of poverty, not great poverty but um, it, it was a bit of a rough area as they'll call it mm. but um and what tends to happen is when you live in those areas you become narrow-minded just as you're describing within your neighborhood you become narrow-minded um you become quite stereotypical and all you know is what you know within your neighborhood but when you start traveling you start getting exposed to other people you start getting exposed to other cultures you start realizing how you can potentially break boundaries and and discover new things discover new languages discover new people and you learn how to interact as well which is the key element that i've, I've found helped me grow as an individual and after all those travels initially i didn't realize what i was gaining from it i just thought i was just having loads of fun experiences with friends and and making new friends but as i grew up i realized i was becoming different from the people within my neighborhood and me and the group of the me and my group of friends that were traveling like, we we'll were starting to behave differently we started to look at the world differently we started finding opportunities where others wouldn't look for opportunities and tracing back to it now i'm able to see that those some of the skill sets that i developed even even something simple as becoming more tolerant of other races, other, other um, um, sexualities, other, um, just other various groups of people, all stem from my traveling and me being able to sort of merge with these individuals and create some sort of friendship and connection. Absolutely. So it, that's the essential part of traveling. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the exposure is uh, a priceless element. And obviously, the people that, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm like, 
anti-American, anti-government. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think yeah. these guys are just wicked in short. But obviously, the people that are uh, kind of perpetuating these things that keep people, you know, put parameters on their lives, obviously, they're well-traveled. They're yeah. well-educated. They have the exposure, especially in America. The American government knows that if, uh, for instance, the black people begin to get this exposure, you know, that will spark and cultivate the interest for them to go out more or potentially leave. Mm. And they can't, they, that is something that they do not want to do. If you look at black Americans, they're at the heart of some of the largest um, industries in America. You know, they're at the center of the sports industry. They're at the center of music. They're at the center of fashion, culture, entertainment. You know, they cannot afford. And they're also at the center of the working class. So they cannot afford for these people to decide they no longer uh, want to be in that environment and or take their resources elsewhere. So it's much more profitable for them to have these people not, not have the interest. You know, we don't have physical boundaries on us that prohibit us or, you know, we haven't had in the past physical boundaries that prohibit us from traveling, from starting businesses, from expanding our lives and things like that. But the boundaries have been mental and psychological. Oh, yeah, 100%. Basically, yeah. you restrict yourself. You know, yeah. you have, and, and this is the game they play because they said, well, you know what? You can travel. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. You can live wherever you want. You can, you know, do these things. However, there's all these psychological restrictions that we've set on ourselves that prohibit us from going. You know, I'm the kind of person that because of my distrust of the government, uh, because of my distrust of religion and education, I have decided to explore those things for myself to come to the conclusion of what it is. So I know for a fact um, you have loads of non-black, you know, people, Asians and so on and so forth visiting the continent, you know, however, um, the black Americans perspective is, okay, there's disease there. I'm not wanted there. What am I going to do in Africa? What is there to see? Yeah. Um, they've only seen, you know, poor areas portrayed on the media. They've seen starving children. They haven't seen Zanzibar, you know, they mm -hmm. haven't seen, uh, the West coast. They haven't seen the waterfalls or, you know, anything that is enticing, you know, as a tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. So, but I knew okay, you know what? These non-black people frequently go to the motherland. Yeah, especially if you look at some of the powerhouses. And they're, and they're not yeah. afraid. Mm. Even even here in the UK, the, the you know, Prince Harry and Prince, they're always going down yeah. uh, to, to the motherland and got their charities and all this stuff. So I'm thinking like, this is not adding up. Mm. So I was always motivated by, you know, whatever they're doing. I'm going to go and do that myself. I'm not going to be here in this little fishbowl while they're out seeing the world and enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. None. So that was kind of, uh, you know, I had a, I had a myriad of reasons that led me to, you know, the lifestyle I've chosen to live. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people just don't see, you know, there's just so much deception and, and, and misinformation because I mean, obviously the continent, just like other foreign countries that have benefited, you have like Dubai, you have Asia. A lot of the diasporas that have chosen India. You have these people. They go abroad. They school. They study. They create businesses. They funnel their money back home. They build up their country and make yeah. it a beautiful place, a luxurious place. Um, 
so obviously if the black Americans create that connection with the motherland, <laughs> the West is in big trouble because these people have access to, you know, the currency, the education, the skill set, blah, blah, blah. And they're instead of, instead of cementing it in that Western location, they're actually funneling it back home. Well, that's going to develop Africa. That's going to build it up. You know, you as a Ghanaian also know, as you've been going back for the past couple of decades, you've seen, you know, a crop change. You know, you've seen. Oh, yeah, the, definitely. I mean, every couple of years yeah, it changes. seen it get developed. Yeah. And it's not necessarily getting developed through the government. It's getting developed through the diaspora, sending the money home, mm -hmm. building projects, buying land, et cetera, et cetera. So that connection is extremely important. And that is what has been, uh, you know, deliberately severed from these you know we, we we see historically we had black leaders in america promoting the black americans to go back to the motherland you know marcus garvey frederick douglas malcolm x you know these people were like hey look we need to create that connection and then those people were all snuffed out uh because because i mean at the end of the day Black Americans are unwanted there. You know, they're treated, they, they are inflicted with extreme racism, discrimination, police brutality, um, inequality in pay. The list goes on and on. So really, if they didn't want us there, then the channels for us to get out would be available, right? But they don't want us there, but they also don't want us to leave, you know? So it's it's one of those... Um, I was I was one of those individuals who were mentally trapped for a quite a, a, a bit of a period during my younger days because when I was younger I kind of got forced back to go to Ghana it's like oh I don't want to go back there what am I going to do there like I'm just going to hang around in a compound and and just be bored and just be hanging around with the grandmothers and not not really explore because I don't want to explore and I don't really understand Africa and um, the first time my eyes really got open I think I was about 18 and I went back to Ghana and that's when I was old enough to kind of like step out of the family home yeah, tap in, yeah. yeah I was definitely I was able to tap in and just like head out on the streets and just talk to some of the locals and I felt this weird it's hard to explain but it's, it's some sort of like spiritual sense of joy that you get when you're around the locals and you're really starting yeah. to tap in and connect it's home. With them. That's, yeah that's it's, it's home that's, that's the only way you can describe it and that's it took me a while to get in that's when that's when I started understanding like the psychological trappings of being in the west and not knowing what's possible back home so that that's really vital to be able to then tap in and go there. But um, th there was an interesting conversation I had with a historian, actually. He, he was a um, black historian. And um, he was telling me about a... Um, so this comes back to the whole um, issue of the diaspora going back. Because I think it, there will be a bit of an issue if everyone was to pack their bags up and say, OK, we're heading back yeah. to Africa. That's I think that's going to be chaos. So I think prior to that that being done, there needs to be a level of... Well, I don't think that's ever going to be done. And I'm not sure... <laughs> And I, know, and I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it because I think, I think I, actually the channels that have uh, created this disconnect have been extremely, extremely effective. Yeah. There yeah. are a lot of black people that, um, you know, they, 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 uh, they actually adamantly don't want any affiliation with the motherland. Yeah. So I think even those of us that are venturing on and having, our interest in the motherland right now we are a minority of a minority you know <laughs> like so yeah. i i don't actually foresee i mean maybe perhaps because of what's happening right now mm. um i think people some people that have had it kind of in their mentality like okay eventually i'm going to go home eventually i'm going to set up shop some of those people may, may be motivated to expedite those plans because they're like shoot 
I'm here and I'm stuck. You know, that's how I feel. I'm like, I literally just got back from Kenya mm -hmm. when all this stuff exploded. And I was just like, damn, if I had to be stranded anywhere, I don't want to be here. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think for some people, this will be a wake up call and help help get their uh, game, plan it, game plan expedited. For other people, it may yeah. spark. They may realize like, you know what, damn, I need to really um, kind of cement a backup plan or what my future is going to look like. But I, 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 I really doubt, you know, just because, I mean, you know how there's just so much. I can't really speak to the effect of what goes on here in the UK, because from my own analysis, the community seem a bit more cohesive. Mm. But in America, the black community is like virtually non-existent. I mean, there's just so much strife between yeah. just members of the same community so i can't even really see you know this mass migration from america yeah. and, and i think that's where the problem comes from because yeah, if, yeah, if there yeah. was a mass migration is how would they be able to sort of like collaborative work together back home yeah. Because exactly. that's 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 going to be another major issue as well. And um, so, what, what going back to what I was talking about with what I was exploring with the historian is the question that he put forward to me, or the or the um, idea was that if everyone in the diaspora was to head home today, um, what you're going to find is there's going to be there's going to be an enslavement of the indigenous people because mm -hmm. without without a common purpose and without a common um, um, ideal of why we're going back and what we're going to build and to do, there's just going to be utter chaos because it's it's yeah. going to be fragmented ideas. And, and that's that's the problem because I mean, if you look through history, we've always had like a leader. We've always had um, one person who's kind of like d driven or, or led the forces, whether it be Garvey, whether it be Nkrumah, whatever. But now it seems to be so many various fragmented ideologies and, and leaders, and and that's the problem. So is one, w w what is what is our manifesto? <laughs> Do you see well, I mean, I mean first, first of all. You know, there is, you're correct, there's no ge geographical cure. So essentially, if you have um, a poor mindset and you just pick up and move to a different location, you carry that along yeah, with definitely. you. definitely, yeah. Um, so definitely there needs to be, I mean, I, I definitely promote a Pan-African mentality. So my mentality as far as going to the motherland So is can you describe Pan-African for those that possibly might okay, not so understand Pan what it means? Just, yeah. just to break it down, Pan yeah. means four, okay? Yeah. Um, and Africa is African. So basically bringing, you know, bring, bringing together and having that collective and more or less in regards to those that are part of the diaspora, them returning or, you know, at least turning their sights or interests or being made aware of the motherland. That's what Pan-African means. Um, so basically what that means is if you are to go to African nations, it's not for you to kind of have like your separate communities it would be wise for you to kind of integrate with the people mm. um and and create that bridge and create that relationship because the reality is is you as someone coming from outside there's a lot of things you don't know there's a lot of things you're disconnected from you don't know the cultural norms you may not know the, the language you may not know the food or how to prepare the food you don't know the demographics you don't know your way around you know you don't know all these things and so if you come in with that western mentality of Okay, you know, our way is superior. We're going to do this and that and this and that, and organize. Where, whereas you do have a wealth of information that can be applied. In order for you to figure out how it can be applied well and beneficial, you need to establish that relationship with the, with the local people. And I think those of us coming from outside, a lot of us, 
one of the common things that we miss and one of the common things that we have lacked growing up in these environments is the cohesive community. Mm. So that behooves us to become or integrate with the pre-existing community that's already available there. So I think obviously that has to be established. Okay, when we come, we're not coming to take over this place. Yeah. You know, there's already people living there. Um, they already have an understanding of their homeland, how it operates and this and that. We can enhance it on certain levels. You know, we can create awareness in certain areas where there may not be awareness. Um, but I think it definitely has to be a collaborative team effort kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, because otherwise, like you said, it'll be it'll be separate communities and that doesn't really achieve the overall goal. So I promote people to, I mean, and that's been one of my strongest suits, like I said, as someone from not really connected to the continent, as someone who's now uh, very connected, I tapped into various communities where I went, you know, and those people, what they can provide you, the insight to life there is priceless. Most definitely. You know, it, yeah. it, it supersedes books or what you've Googled or what you've watched on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can have an intimate understanding of life there through someone who is from there. So I think that is where the value is, you know. Yeah. Most definitely. Because, um, and I think also um, before you go, before you take the take the leap or whatever and wanting to um, help improve Africa, you always need to identify what your skill sets are as well and how you can implement your skill sets within the system that's already there. So one of the things that I'm constantly looking at within Africa is um, infrastructure and education. Because yes. I think, number one, for a nation to improve um, overall, you need to educate your people. You need to educate your women and your men exactly the same. Because at the moment, when you, when you look at the GDP of most African countries is like it's like 70 30 percent so men are contributing way more and the thing is it's always proven that if you're able to get like an equal in, um, input into the GDP improves the overall um, the, the overall life life um, quality of the people within um, a particular country and then infrastructure is essential yeah, I mean, people, people need to be able to move around people need to be able to get the basic yeah, essentials yeah. water I mean, as the population grow you know um just being able to for the infrastructure being able to expand to mm. handle the larger populations and things like that most definitely absolutely yeah. i agree and i mean i think when it comes to education um we should reform the education we should create curriculums that educate our people about our people oh yeah you definitely know, yeah their history you know because i think this has always been a confusion of those in the diaspora too which they look to the continent as okay why do you entertain these europeans you know when they come you treat them so special you still allow them to come and use your resources you know why is this but in the reality the education an American, a British is getting is still similar to what mm. a, a native African person is getting. You know, we have these former colonial masters creating the curriculums for our schools and saying what's appropriate and what they need to learn and what they don't. You know, you have people growing up on the continent that don't even know about the slave trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't even yeah. get any uh, African-American history or anything like that. So obviously, I think we need to promote our people to be. Um, to, to have a self-reliance, to have a self-pride, to be innovative to the problems that are facing our countries. You know, if we groom our children, uh, that they can perhaps hold the solution to some of the problems that we're experiencing yeah. and challenge them to, to come up with that. You know, children are very bright, very imaginative. Um, some of the things that we are experiencing in our countries 
If we say, hey, look, you know, let's take your ideas. What do you think about this mm. problem facing the electrical grid? What do you think about this problem facing the water supply? Yeah. What do you think about this problem, you know, and, and let the children have that free reign. We don't really That's empower our children yeah. in leadership positions. You know, we mm. groom them to migrate and go to the West. So that's what they do. So if Being we... the pastures into the whole idea. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? We need to start with education the same way the West does. You know, they're pushing their agendas. They're pushing their homosexuality. They're pushing their transgender and mm. all this diversity. They target our children. They mm. know that, OK, if we get this instilled in the next generation, mm. they'll grow up as adults and they'll function on their own. You mm. know, we so need to say, OK, you know, what? we want our kids to be Kwame Nkrumah. He was. Big on education, you know, established yeah. the Pan-African schooling because he knew, okay, let's let's implement this mindset in our kids and they'll grow up to be strong Pan-Africans. They'll grow up to be strong advocates of their own nations mm -hmm. and things like that. And that is where we need to start. You know, yeah, most definitely. definitely. And I think that there's something quite important, which um, I, I noticed as well by observing is um, the utilization of the most productive people within a society, because that's, uh, that's, that's, that's such a key function. And I actually, no, I, when it came to Africa, there was, I had a disturbing, well, I have many conversations at the moment, but um, I was speaking to a, a businessman. He's a, um, he's a self-proclaimed capitalist. So he, he's all about business. And um, he set up a, um, a fintech company in Africa. So it was all about um, um, moving money around and finding easier ways of getting money around, like how we've got mobile money and stuff like that happening mm. now. And um, all his employees were African. He wasn't African himself. He's from he's from Eastern Europe. <laughs> and um, so I asked him a question. I was like, well, were the people, were there already people there with the skill sets that you required? And he was like, yeah, all you have to do in any society is to just filter through and find the most productive people within that society, find the smartest, the brightest, and then give them the tools required for them to harness their greatness. And that's what he done. So he went to Africa and people were like, oh, you're not going to find people good enough to be able to develop so-and-so over there because they don't have the level of IQ and so forth. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, um, IQ is actually fairly evenly shared out across, across the globe, but you just have to harness it. And that's all it is. So he went to he went to Nigeria, Ghana, and I think Kenya, and he specifically went to each university, picking out the brightest of minds and put them into a hub and gave them all the tools they needed. And they were able to create all of these fantastic apps, Absolutely. came up with all of these ideas. And that's something that our leaders are not really doing or we're not doing right. as a nation, which is dangerous because in order for a nation to progress, you do need to utilize those because not all of us have the same level of IQ. Not all of us have the same level of innovation or drive, but you go find these people in order for them to create opportunities for others to then continuously thrive on. So that's that's my piece that I'll give in relations to like education and and how that's going to improve Africa as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it can be done. You know, I think it can be done, especially in this modern day. We have uh, tools and technology that can assist us. And I mean, again, mm. I, I do put a lot of the weight on those of us that are a part of the diaspora to, yeah. to begin to, to make that connection because mm. I've seen nothing but receptiveness from the people that I've interacted with. You know, yeah. I went to Kenya and um, I have a website, which is www.theafricansuperstar.com. I sell like luxury jewelry and yeah. uh, clothing and, and items made from Kenya and Ghana. Oh, cool. So 
I actually went to Kenya and um, kind of set up this connection with a bead maker out there. I met a young gentleman who was my Uber, Uber driver. And I kind of said, hey, do you know some Maasai people that can make some beads for me, like for a custom project? He said, oh, yeah, I can find somebody for you. <laughs> so he's now my project manager. Uber drivers are the plugs, by the way, in Africa. Yeah, for yeah. those wanting to find out, yeah, as soon as you land, speak to your Uber driver and you're sorted. <laughs> Get your Uber driver. I'm telling you, you can get you a tour guide, a place yeah. to stay, everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, translate Swahili, everything. Yeah. So um, I spoke to my Uber driver. Shout out to Joseph. Yeah. And uh, he, you know, connected me with this bead maker. And I mean, she's like the real deal. Speaks, speaks uh, Swahili, you know. So we're, we're trying to do this project and he's translating for me. And, and, and it's beautiful. But, you know getting business started on the continent is so much easier than doing it here. Like literally I got on the ground and just started to implement the plan. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think if more of us made the effort, you know, I think we would be happy with, with our, um, with our efforts, you know, And, and wherever you are functioning, because the reality is if you're a nurse here in the UK, we need nurses back home. (laughs) If you're a teacher here, we need teachers back home. If you're a lawyer or a professional IT, we need all the, everything that the West needs. Mm. Our homeland needs it too, you know, and whereby here you're going to be groomed to be an employee. I don't care if you have your PhD or you're, you're going to the university looking for a job. You're going to the hospital looking for a job. You know what I mean? Back home, you can have your own clinic. You can have, you can be, you can go from being a teacher to the headmaster. Oh yeah, just like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You Mm. can go from being a hairdresser in a salon to being the madam of the salon, your own salon back home. So there's just a lot more opportunity for expansion if you have that vision. And I think honestly, most of the people that will be attracted to the continent are those with vision. You know, it's not a place for the person who needs everything allotted to them to go. Mm -hmm. It's for the go-getter. It's for the pioneer because Mm -hmm. we are the generation. We we have a a, a unique uh, subset that allows us to really pioneer and create this bridge. Mm-hmm. And that's something previous generations have not had. So we are pioneering. So that means it comes with challenges. It comes with the unknown and blah, blah, blah. We need people that have the heart and, the, and that are brave to go out there and say, you know what, I'm going to cement this um, connection for those that are coming behind me. Once we do the hard work, they'll be able to benefit from it. You know, just like we're able to be the recipients of certain things because of the people that went before us. Yeah. So I would I would I would not advise people that don't have that mentality to 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 uh, persist on to the motherland because yeah. it's not for the faint at heart. You know, you, you have to have vision when you get there. Things will manifest in your mind and you can go with that direction. In my opinion, there's just a lot less friction. You know, mm-hmm. I am an imaginative, creative person, so I can see things, you know, but whereas I feel like in the West, there's so many roadblocks to my progress in Africa. You know, if you have some resources or you get the connections, you just go straight forward. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, you have money. OK, yeah. So what? You might bribe a little something. You might do whatever. You know, you're able to get your plan rolling. And that's what is important. Yeah. You know, so that's um, obviously I think it's it's for the imaginative. You yeah, know, definitely. And I think um, it's, it's also a sacrificial move as well, because yeah. um, for those wanting instant gratification, you're not going to get that if you're going to be a part of such a movement because you're, you're going there for the greater good. So ex- expecting to blow up and... and it can be a gradual thing, you know? Yes, like, yes. It's go definitely there tomorrow a gradual move. And, and be... You know, whereas I think here, 
um, the span the the span of our lifetime is more median. You know what yeah. I mean? You live an average life for your whole life, right? Mm. You work this job. Yeah, you <laughs> get enough food. You know, <laughs> hand to mouth. You know, you don't go up, but you don't go down. You just stay in the median. Mm. In Africa, you have the potential to be great. Yeah. But instead of, you know, you having that consistent median, it may be filled with ups and downs, ups and downs, whatever, mm. to get to that peak. So it's just for the person to determine, okay, you know what, i rather have the safe bet. You know, if you're a stock person, I'd rather invest in mutual. You know what I mean? I don't want to do startups. I don't want to do these, you know, trending stocks. Mm. But that risk taker is like, you know what, this thing is going to blow. Next year, you know, the person who invested in Bitcoin before it blew up, they became a millionaire. The person who invests in mutual stocks yeah. is getting that $2 dividend. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. just different. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's just different. So for me, I bet on the motherland. Mm. I think because I do come from the diaspora, that does also uh, garner me preferential treatment in certain instances. Mm. And so you can capitalize on the things that are helpful to you. Whereas in America, like, okay, you here as a, as a, as a British Ghanaian, you know, there's loads of British Ghanaians. Yeah. You don't really stand out. Mm -hmm. But when you go home, you go to the motherland, people are going to be like, Oh, so you're from abroad. You know, it, it works to your advantage, you know? So it's for us to capitalize things that are ordinary about us here. That wouldn't necessarily get us a leg up. Mm. You know, that gives us a, an edge uh, back home. It's the same thing other, you know, migrants do. These Chinese people, these Indians, they're nothing in their country. You know, nobody cares about them. They come to England and it's like, wow, you're so smart. Wow, you're so rich. Wow, you must be, you know, the, the connotation. And that gives them preferential treatment and they capitalize off of it. So I yeah. think we can use those same things not to, not to uh, be, you know, predatory on our homeland mm -hmm. but just that's to, key yeah yeah not you know you don't go there with the, okay i'm about to take advantage of these people and i'm gonna hustle these people and i'm better go, than them because you're gonna you're gonna definitely that's gonna hit you that's gonna yeah. come back and bite you yeah. yeah that's that's not the way forward we we need to start taking a selfless selfless look at some things and say mm -hmm. okay you know what look let's be prepared to sa sacrifice so that we can get our things established. I think one thing I hate about mm. being outside is I absolutely hate being referred to as a minority. And I hate being yeah. treated like that. Mm. You know, especially when I know that I'm not. But mm. I realize that a lot of people are lured from their homelands because of lack of opportunity. Yeah. It's in that. So maybe they don't want to come abroad. You know, how many of us Africans like cold weather? <laughs> you know what I'm we like never seeing the sun. Yeah. We like lack you know um a lack of social events we like you know all these things that we go through all these complexities we go through in the west we don't like it but people come because of the opportunity yeah if we're able to create more opportunity back home yeah. that's some young person that's not going to have to leave mm -hmm. that doesn't want to leave you know what i mean they'll have opportunities afforded to them there so yeah. they don't have to go yeah and that's just so powerful so for me you know I've lived, you know, I'm in my uh, mid thirties now. I've lived a good portion out here and I'm just like, I'm so sick of a lot of things that I've had to go through mm -hmm. in these environments. If I can set the stage for somebody to not have to, you know, not be racially profiled, you know, not worry about police brutality, mm -hmm. 
Mm. Not not worry about being the best and brightest, but getting passed over for promotions and, you know, these kind of things that a lot of black professionals deal with in these environments. Then I'm willing to do, I'm willing to do that. You know, I'm yeah. willing to do that for the next generation or potentially even my kids. You know, we have to think about the, our children eventually, you know, yeah. what's the world going to be like for them? You know, do we want them to go through the things we've had to go through? Would, if our child faces it and say, Mom and Dad, you know, you, you, you know, why did you bring me here? Why didn't you let me live in Ghana? Why didn't you let me live in Nigeria? I enjoy it more there. You know, we're going to have to answer the hard questions. Well, son, I was a wimp. I didn't yeah. want to do the sacrifice. <laughs> Especially, I think those questions are probably going to be asked more um, now because the change is so rapid. Yeah. And they're going to start seeing the greatness which is happening um, in Africa because... Um, so the, the word that you brought up, which is very interesting, is opportunity. So sometimes people fear that there's lack of opportunity in Africa in order right. in order to tap in and get stuff done. But w when you look at it, the opportunity for development and growth is immense. I mean, um, I, was, I was listening to a, a talk from one of the biggest developers in Ghana, and he said that in, in terms of just property development alone, there's 300 years worth of property development if you was to compare the West with certain places in Africa. So that alone is, if you're someone who um, who's of entrepreneurial mind, that's 300 years worth of business there that you can potentially do. <laughs> right. So you can't tell me there's no opportunity. Do you know there's what I mean? So there's vast amount of opportunity. I mean, and, and even just like the basic things like here, you know, even if you just model yourself after someone you know you see a business here that might be popular back home i don't you've recently been there so you see like yeah. one of the things that's on the rise is like dessert shops yeah you know, yeah, yeah we see loads of dessert shops here mm. dessert shops are a big deal there you know the people go to a crama on the weekends just to go to the dessert shop yeah you know western style pizza shop western mm. style anything from clothes that you've gotten from the uk or america you know mm. what i mean you can i mean there's just and like i said just the the, the um availability of the growth mm. you know whereby here you can be stagnant for like 10 years if you if you invest that same 10 years mm. of productivity in the motherland I mean, you you probably know people like I do. I, I got friends that are like... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's no, a friend definitely. of mine from university. I uh, went to the University of Cincinnati in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, there's a friend of mine that graduated 2005, all right? Mm. He left Ohio and went back to Kumasi, all mm. right? His dad had a company. He he went in and worked with his dad. This dude's got a freaking mega mansion now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He got a brand new Audi. And that's a know? combination of knowledge. Just That's what that is. Do you know what I mean? The same 10 years, I ain't got nothing to show for it. This <laughs> guy's got a mansion, a business, and a brand new sports car. Okay? Yeah. Plus a beautiful family. You know? Father of three children, married. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, if you if you can take that 10 years, if you're willing to invest like 5, 10 years, and you're you're serious about your, your grind, the rate of growth is amazing. You yeah. know? And, and all it really takes, and then often, um, I interviewed a guy on my channel named Anthony Jamefe, right? Um, he is the CEO of a watch company that is uh, distributing watches, you know, uh, manufacturing and distributing watches from Ghana. He's the wow. only watchmaker from Africa, wow. first and only. So he was working for Timepiece GH, which is a, a popular um watch company you know in, in ghana and he noticed that all the watches uh that they were selling were all imports that there was not not one that was made in africa mm. 
So he started his company December of 2018. Started his company and it's, 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 it's amazing. He's had exponential growth. So I actually met with him um, on my recent stay in February and we did an interview. And he kind of told me the story of how everything came about. And so when you think about that, like, if you wanted to, for instance, start a watch company here in the UK or in France, you know, you're going to have so many competitors. Yeah. This guy is, he's historic. He's the first. And right now he's the only. Wow, that's amazing. It's amazing. And he's, um, I think he's, you know, in his early thirties, um, his watch, his watch company is called caveman. The watches, uh, the website is cavemanwatches.com. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, the watches are beautiful, you mm-hmm. know, and this man, everything's handmade. I mean, he has expertise. It's fantastic. But my point is, is market dominance. You yeah. know, if you are a business, you don't even have competition. You come mm-hmm. to the field, you're the only one. Yeah. So the same way that we, we have to deal with certain ethnic groups and stuff like that because they run a monopoly. I'm, I'm a black lady, so, you know, you get your hair, you get your nails done. A lot of the beauty and hair care is all run by Asians, right? Yeah. We don't really want to deal with them. I'm pan-African. I'm pro-black. I'd rather go support a black hair shop. But if there's none, guess what? I got to go. And if there is one, um, you know that the products were manufactured nowhere near Africa as well. So <laughs> that's, right. another, that's another issue. Um, I think manufacturing is probably one of the things that we need to look at because... Yeah. There's so much scope and opportunity for growth out there, especially we, we can we can replicate China. It's, it's, it's very much proven that Africa can replicate China because we're, we're growing at a ridiculous rate at the moment. It's predicted that within the next 30 years, we're probably going to double in population, hit like 2.5 billion. And that's opportunity. That's that's scope. So there's I mean, no we excuse. Can, we can take, we can, like I said, you can model yourself after someone. You don't have to come up in, with some kind of ethereal idea mm. of, okay, what kind of business could I do? What kind of service could I do? It's as simple as maybe you go there and you notice that uh, there's not a service that you use in mm. the West. You know, maybe there's no dry cleaner in your whole neighborhood, you know, mm. or there's no coffee shops around yeah. or there's nobody who, you know, there's no hair salon or whatever, you know, or no clinics. You know, mm. we have a lot of medical professionals here, um, you know, these kind of things. And you realize, well, there's nobody here. Mm. That right there could potentially be the the uh, avenue that you segue. I noticed when it's like how I came about with my uh, my company was every time I go to the motherland, I will buy goods. You know, mm-hmm. I love Kente and stuff like that. I love Ankara. I will buy, you know, traditional dresses and or jewelry and stuff like that. So whenever I would come back, people would say, well, where did you get this? And I'd be like, oh, I got this from Ghana or I got this from Kenya. And that would kind of be the end of the conversation. And I realized that here in the West, we do everything online. You know, we do everything via our technology. In Africa, it's more word of mouth. You're going to communicate with people and say, hey, where, where should I go for this? Where do you know a good yeah. person? Blah, blah, blah. So what I did was I said, you know what? Let me create a website where I source from the motherland and I sell to the diaspora. You know what I mean? Because people in the motherland, they're not necessarily going to buy my prints or buy my jewelry because it's easily accessible for them. Yeah. But here in the diaspora, they, they don't have access to those things. So um, I can actually create a luxury line. And so that's what I did. So I built my website myself. Um, I got the goods from Kenya and Ghana. I have uh, custom makers that design, you know, make special designs uh, for my web page. And that's what I did. But again, that came, for you. Yeah, that, that came from me actually going to the motherland. 
you know, me just being me, liking to dress up or liking, you know, special or unique items, wearing my things. Where did you get that? Now, when I have that conversation with somebody, they're like, man, I love that necklace. I'm like, hey, you can go to AfricanSuperstar.com. They got, you know, similar items. They have this and that. And then I also have a special market because I have limited edition. Mm -hmm. So if you like things that are special, this item, there might be one or two of them, period. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? So that drives up the demand for it because it's like, it's not like it's mass produced, you know, it's something that's unique and special and, and this and that. So, you know, that's, that's where, uh, my ID came from. But again, it, it, once you go to the motherland, a lot of things will spark in your mind mm-hmm. and it may be relative to your area of expertise. You know, you may see, wow, they could really use some city planning. They could really use this. They could really use that. Mm-hmm. And then insert yourself in there. Yeah. You know? Um, so, okay. So in, in, we're given some great pointers in regards to like going back and opportunities that are available and the benefits of going back for the diaspora. But um, one of the things that we'll probably have to deal with, and I think the diaspora needs to be made aware of and educated on is also how do we deal with like honest leadership? Cause yeah. it's fair enough looking at things from a person to person perspective, like going right, back right, and doing right. something for yourself, but as a system as well, we need to look at our leadership structures and how to find more honest and in, We'll try to find more leaders with integrity because corruption's always been the case, especially when you're dealing with people in poverty, because everyone's kind of like scrambling to the top. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. As you find here in the West as well and everywhere in the world, but yeah. particularly Africa, it has a greater effect because the people, majority of the people, don't have a lot. So they, how do, um, how would you encourage more the diaspora going back to have a more positive influence into the leadership of the various countries? Well, I mean, if they, if they have those interests, like as far as uh, maybe political interests, they could once again insert themselves there. I don't really particularly, um, my particular scale is, you know, not the grand scale. So mm-hmm. I don't really look at like um, remodeling the entire continent. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's <laughs> remodeling. That, that, yeah, you get yeah. yourself into trouble when you're doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah because I mean, yeah. in reality, you know, we, we have to be realistic and, and we understand that a lot of these problems are at play. But if we're honest, I mean, I grew up in America for decades. I never had any say-so of who was leading the country. Mm. I never voted for any of the, the uh, presidents or the state represent. I really, I wasn't interested in voting. I focus on what I could do as an individual to enhance the quality of my life. Um, I would say if you have political aspirations um, or you're in the legal system or you're in some kind of realm where you would have influence to those levels, then definitely insert yourself there because we need um, more poignant leaders. I mean, we can look at what the difference of what, you know, I think Nana Ado, he's, he's opened up the economy more in Ghana. You yeah. know, there's been the, the, the year of return campaign. Mm. We can attribute that to him. Um, some projects that are going on, some, some growth and stuff like that. So if we have, but again, you look at Nana Ado, what he had exposure to the UK. You yeah. know, he schooled here and also, you know, Kwame Nkrumah schooled mm. abroad as well. So you look at some of those people that have had international exposure and what they're able to accomplish when they come back and insert that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as people that are venturing to the continent, and definitely, you definitely need to connect with trustworthy individuals. I wouldn't recommend you finding just anyone and choosing to invest and choosing to start business with them until you can kind of verify who that individual is. So a rule of thumb for me is I'm already integrated into these communities that I do business, like in Kenya and Ghana, for instance. So I consult my friends. 
And if, if you want to buy land, I talked to someone that has actually bought land from someone or done business multiple occasions with someone to verify that that person is a legitimate uh, source. Or maybe even if you connect with other expats, you know, that are now doing business there. Because obviously we come from outside. We have a different standard or a different view of how we want things done or visions of how we want things implemented. People that come from the West, sometimes they can relate more to us. Mm. You know, I know there's another uh, very popular YouTuber. Her name is The Only Way is Ghana. And she actually used to live here in, in the UK and she migrated back to Ghana. And so online she's been chronicling a, bro a building project. So she's been showing people step by step, you know, as she laid the foundation, she buys the products, what she goes through with the people. And she has a lot of great suggestions of people to work with in Ghana, her contractor and all that stuff. So a lot of it has to do with reference, you know, uh, research, you know, tapping into the community is key. And then a lot of times you'll be able to, to, to get around some of those things. Um, you know, so I think, it's possible. You know, we look at Rwanda, for instance. We look at how uh, mm. Paul Kagame is transforming uh, Rwanda. We look at, you know, unfortunately, the fall of Gaddafi. But we look at how uh, Libya used to be in a great position uh, because of the leadership that actually cared and provided for the people. So it's possible. I don't pr I don't have political aspirations. Yeah. Uh, so I don't really, <laughs> yeah. you know. I, I know it's a, it's a big one. That's, that's yeah, the thing it's a big one. I mean, leadership, leader, leadership is important, but I think sometimes it's a cop-out, too, because sometimes, and I mean, honestly, if you play your cards right, you can get around that stuff in Africa, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. You know, you can. Yeah. If you know people, if you got money, you know, you yeah. can get your project done versus here, um, sometimes... You know, you wouldn't be able to get it done in the same mm. way. I don't really particularly uh, feel contrary to those things. I know they exist. And so, therefore, if I want to do business there, yeah. okay. You know, I you think might it helps the economy move there. It's, it's yeah, become I mean, a part it's, of the economic it's world. Human nature. It's human nature. Yeah. Even at the most basic levels, even in, in, in a tribal setting, let's mm. say. You know, one chief says, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Yeah. Okay, well, you, you trade this with me, I'll give you my daughter. You know what I mean? Whatever. <laughs> this is this is the nature of, of, of trade and, and bartering and everything. And we would, we would be doing ourselves a disservice to act like that stuff doesn't go on here. Mm. You know, that stuff goes on here, but black people a lot of times can't even get into those echelons because it's mm. the white boys up there at the top you know, running and controlling everything. They're scratching each other's back. They're in bed with each other. They're doing favors. At least in Africa, we can get it. <laughs> we can get to those levels, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so I, I, I don't particularly feel, uh, you know, that those are ne negative things. I think that those are things that can be utilized. At least you know, okay, look, I'm going to have to bribe these people, okay? That's just a fact. But I put, I put, I plan for that. <laughs> mm. And then, uh, you know, I move forward with my project. And, yeah. uh, you know, they, those people aren't going to live forever. There will come a time when we are those senior people, you know. So if, 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 you know, the circle of life will take its course and eventually those people will be expunged and we'll have the new generation coming up. So we can position ourselves well. By whatever means, you know, I mean, don't go stealing from people, don't go killing people, don't mm -hmm. do anything unscrupulous, you know, per se, you know, position yourself well, and then you can have influence, yeah. you know, that's also that, another way. 
that's that's why it's so important in regards to like the position that we take now because um how, how we behave now we're, we're possibly going to continue when we're in a position of power so we've got to make sure that we, we we at least operate with a certain level of integrity and and also it should be the people focused instead of like an individualistic point of view it's like I, i'm not coming here to take for me and my family alone do you know what i mean there's there's a yeah, big i mean you know spread the wealth i mean yeah, like definitely. you said the reality is look you scratch my back i scratch yours i understand it's the same way hey, look we're, we're youtubers where we're uh, public figures, mm-hmm. media people, it's the same thing. You know, you come on my platform, I come on yours. You yeah. know, we share the wealth. It's great. We both eat. You know, yeah. definitely if you're getting favors or whatever, that's cool. But keep your people in mind. You know, yeah. make sure you're doing something productive. Don't just yeah. hoard it all for yourself. You yeah. know? He, like yeah. share it a little bit and there's, there's a quote which one of my mentors one told me he was like the the, the wealth and the health of your people we determine your wealth and your health, uh, absolutely. Your health. Absolutely, because so if, if you're able to keep your people healthy and wealthy then in return you you be healthy and wealthy because yeah. you're not going to be poor if your people are poor so you should be able to find systems to encourage growth within your people absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. and i mean you know that's something like for instance i i with, with my business, I make sure the people I do business with are taken care of. You know mm. what I mean? Um, a, a pound goes a long way back in the mother. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? So you there's ways for you to actually, you know, take care of them, but it's not going to break your bottom dollar if mm. you're doing, you know, transatlantic business or whatever like that. And the reality is there was something that DeVito said, you know, Nigerian music star DeVito. He said, mm. every person around me is well taken care of. So these people mm-hmm. are very loyal to me, you know, referring mm-hmm. to his bodyguards, his, his gate guys and all these people. He doesn't, you know, eat off the plate all he wants and then have these people living in poverty because that creates jealousy and that creates people wanting to take you down and want to rob from you and things like that. But when you take care of these people, they will have a love and affinity towards you because they'll be like, wow, you know, you took care of me. So I'm not, it, it wouldn't be easy for them to turn their back on you mm. uh, for maybe a one-time event when they know, okay, you know what, this person has consistently been looking after me mm. for time or whatever. So, you know, when you're starting your business, there's a way for both of you guys to mm. capitalize, you know? Yeah. And I think if we keep that mentality, because the Western mentality is I eat everything, no mm. matter if I'm fat and huge, I yeah. take it all yeah. and yeah. you guys get a little bit, you yeah. know, but if you distribute that where it's like, okay, obviously I'm the owner and, and the run, you know, the person running this business, but we distribute it more. So you're also living a good quality life. You're going to be loyal to me. You're going to give me a good quality product. You're going to be on time. You're going to do what you're supposed to do mm. and all those kind of things. Yeah. definitely. So, and, uh, and I think, um, it's, 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 I feel I like the picture that we've painted of Africa here because what a lot of people tend to do is they have this fear of Africa and um, we're showing them that both of us have enjoyed Africa in various forms Man. Uh, and Look, we speak so highly of Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, right now I'm, I'm, I'm itching to go back. Yeah, definitely. I live, I live beneath my means here in, in the UK, let me say that. Yeah. I'm, on a, I'm on a high pedestal in the motherland. So. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, and, it feels, and it feels better as well because the thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people. Like, I've, I've lived in various countries throughout my life and um, I grew up in various countries. And then I'm also very appreciative and very grateful for every single opportunity I've had along the way. I'm grateful for all the experiences I've had. But at the same time, I'm also very aware of the feeling I have when I'm back home. 
very yeah. very aware and and it's been undefeated and it, it doesn't come close to it so it, it does say a lot about what's going on whether it's physical or spiritual or something deeper so yeah, i mean and, and there's just a level of respect that we don't get um in the west you know that we get back home you know what I mean? Yeah. Period. I mean, I know definitely you as a man can attest, you know, mm. being a black man, you know, being uh, restricted all the time in these settings, you know, mm. or having those negative connotations ver- versus when you go home, you know, you're like the chief ogre, you know, everybody, yeah. <laughs> you know, not just brothers, but ladies, kids, yeah. everybody, you know, and um, it's the same for women. You know, we, we get, uh, you know, I like to say we get pampered, you know, the men are very respectful and everybody kind of people look at you as a family member. Yeah. You know, everybody sees you. you the, the children you don't know are going to call you auntie and uncle. Yeah. The seniors that you don't know are going to give you a smile. You know, the, the ladies you don't know will be polite and, you know, all these things. And it's, 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 it's that familial view. Like, OK, you're a part of the community. You're not just like some alien. Versus like here, we, we don't see each other necessarily as brothers and sisters. So if, if we see another person in harm or, you know, we see a domestic dispute, you know, people don't want to intervene because they're like, well, I don't know those people. I don't want to. Yeah. Get yeah. Everyone's detached from so, each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at home, yeah. like if somebody disrespects you, everybody going to jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, what's so funny. So I was um, so I think I was driving around and I had like my grandmother, and one of my aunties in the car and um she was telling us a story about how her, her car got stuck in the gutter and within like two seconds the local boys had like lifted her car off and yeah, like shoved yeah. it back on the road and she was like yeah that's one thing about like Ghana and Africa in general is that whenever you're in trouble everyone within the local vicinity feels like it's their trouble it's, it's a communal yeah, thing yeah, it's not an individualistic thing absolutely. yeah I mean they might ask you for uh, some money to buy a drink after they'll be like oh auntie can I get some money for some yeah. super more but, but again, nonetheless like they're gonna said, help you before they ask you yeah. It's, it's, it's life you know what I mean it's like I don't know people people but I guess in our world here the way we live here that's like taboo mm. you know but back home it's like it makes sense like okay you know what look they they know we're from abroad they mm. look at us as rich guys rich women big you know big girl auntie mm. senior sister you know all these ta- mm. uh, titles so they, they look at us like that you know mm. they look at us as big people yeah and so, you know, hey, look, you got a couple CDs for me. I know you got a couple. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just helped you out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> we, and don't feel away about giving it as well. That's what I encourage people to do because it's, it's all a part of stimulating the economy. So when, whenever I jump out of an Uber, I never collect my change. Whenever I'm, I'm yeah. buying, I stop over and I buy my plantain and peanuts from the local lady i always give her a bit of extra or just drive off without asking for the change and stuff like that it's it's all a part of me stimulating the economy with the additional that i have here do you know what i mean or the little extra that i have so yeah it makes you feel good too definitely, you know, like, definitely. Make, it makes their whole day better you know yeah and, um you know it's it's nice i think i think it's nice and i think if more of us in the diaspora took that position mm. you know we would have that um that elevated image in the eyes of our peers, you mm-hmm. know, whereas some of these foreigners, that's why they look at them the way they do. Cause they come here and they're all, oh, they're generous. You know, they're doing the tourist stuff. They're spending mm-hmm. money. If they saw us doing that, they could have that same regard in us. Like, wow, the black Americans, when they come here, they cash us out. You know, mm-hmm. we, we like seeing them. We like seeing the black British, mm-hmm. you know, 
Mm. We we can have that connotation because we're generous and we're taking care of them, but we're friendly and yeah. you know those kind of things. So yeah. we we have to kind of be the change we want to see. Amazing. Um, I was just going to ask you um, finally, what what would be your last word to like the diaspora, as in like why did she set their sides back home? Um, so, I mean, so if you was to meet someone of the diaspora outside and they're like, well, I've heard you speak about the, the wonders of the motherland, but I just can't see it. And w- why should I set my eyes back home? Um, I would say my, my final word would be, what is the alternative? You know, that would be the question that I pose to them. Um, do you want to continue to exist in the way that we have been in these lands? Or do you want to take what is potentially out there for us in the motherland? Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we have a long history of, of being in these countries and enduring what we have been enduring. Mm. And uh, it's not changing. You know, there's no measures in place that will make it change and they don't want to make a change. So that would be my final word is what, yeah. what, what is the alternative? If we don't go home, what is the alternative? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I, I would say so. I, I always believe like every opportunity that we have as human beings and even our very even our very existence is offered the back of someone else's suffering. It's offered the back of someone else's sacrifice. And and I think the th- key thing is when it comes to the diaspora and looking back home is to realize the sacrifice of those who came before you. And then using that as fuel for you to then enable for for that to encourage you and spark something in you for you to give something back. Like we're not saying necessarily everyone has to go back, but I feel like everyone has to look back and give something back because you're standing on the shoulders of their sacrifices and their work. So that's that that to me is the key element because I know there's loads of people that they, they'll struggle back home. There's loads of people that have no use back home. There's loads of people that are so far gone that it might even be damaging to them mentally if they even look back home. But you can contribute without necessarily forcing yourself to do something that you're incapable of doing. And that's what I would say, because back home is beautiful. Back home is great. We're both great testaments to that. And I, I, I smile whenever I think about Ghana now. I'm not that I'm not that 16-year-old kid that thinking, oh, Oh, what? We have to go back to Ghana this year. What are we gonna do there? Like, I'm just gonna chill in grandmother's house and just like now I'm like, yo, when's the next flight? I'm I'm on Skyscanner trying to look for the cheapest flight because I want to be back there. I I I get that sense of joy and that that upliftment in spirit. So it's a beautiful thing. And eventually, I want to go back and I'm I'm developing something right now at the moment. I've got a massive piece of land that I'm developing apartments and. And wow! So, yeah, me, me and um, um, some family members, we're, we're doing stuff back wow, there. Wow! Congratulations, yeah. mate. Thank you, and um, and I look forward to that project more than I look forward to anything else because I know at the end of the day, it's going to benefit others and benefit me, and it's benefiting the whole of a country as a whole. In a way, I'm I'm contributing. You're contributing, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, it's been it's been great speaking to you actually because I, I mean I didn't know what to expect initially. I knew what the title was, and then. Also, having lived it, I felt like it, it would be organic, which it, which it has turned out yes, to be. Yes, yes, and then yes, we both yes. share the same joy for Africa and in particularly Ghana in my case. And I can't wait to see what happens in the next coming decades. And I just pray and hope that this whole season that we're going through of coronavirus will just hurry up and disappear and and we can go back to normality and we can go back to doing what we do best and yeah absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah and thanks for having me i, I mean again we we've, we've been trying to connect for some I know, time I know. <laughs> i'm really happy and yeah. i appreciate what you're doing with your media you know uh, those of us that that actually put ourselves out there we are the face you know yeah. we are the representatives of this movement and this ideology so big shout outs to yeah. you and your audience thank you african superstar and, uh, it's been a pleasure you. we're definitely going to catch up again yeah yeah definitely All right. enjoy the rest of your day have a fantastic Bye. Day. <laughs> <laughs>